This is season three of the Broke Architect Podcast. This podcast has now been referenced in keynote speeches at Arabia HQ, Architects Journal, BD Online, and GB News. Should you wish to sponsor this podcast, please contact me at globalarchitectalliance.com. Thank you. And now, on to the show. So in 2023, Peter George gave a keynote speech at the RIPA Awards at Portland Place in London. Now, for those of you who don't know who Peter George is, he is a strategic director of economy and sustainability at Ealing Council uh, in London. And to quote from his keynote speech, the once great architectural profession is now broken. And until they address their salary problems, they'll never address their diversity problem. So, you know, if you're not earning, um, getting a great salary, how can you ever um, get better diversity into the industry? And he referenced in his speech, the Broke Architect podcast. And he also referenced that we have an Architects Benevolence Society to help essentially architects who are, who are struggling I just want to thank you all. Thank you to everyone who has attended today, this recording of the Brock Architect podcast. Architecture will always be created, but is the architect profession now dead? This is what we're going to discuss. So if you've only considered the return on investment, you would go and do something more profitable instead, like maybe going into tech you know, going into tech and still having the title architect as they don't seem to be getting prosecuted, especially in the UK. Anyway, today we will have that debate on the death of architects. Is it now an unsustainable profession? So it's over to our first speaker. If you just want to introduce yourself, uh, say where you are in the world what your profession is and how long you've been in that profession because we've got a mix of people today um, please introduce yourself sure thanks jason for having me uh my name is Maya agano uh based in bristol united kingdom um my profession is architecture I'm currently an architectural assistant part two and part three student um i currently work as uh architectural assistant or designer in an off-site manufacturing consultancy and I've been working here for about a year and a half, generally working in practice for about three and a half years. So that's my general career, been studying um, and working for the past 10 years. And in terms of the subject matter, um, whether I think this profession is sustainable or not, I am becoming more and more under the impression that it is unsustainable. And the systems as to why it's unsustainable start from education. We still teach students based on a star architect model that they will be the one man band and they will be working on great cultural centers moving forward. But in reality, their first few years may be drawing door schedules and toilets, not because we think they're less, because they don't know how to do those things. And I learned this from personal experience. I didn't know how to do an M43 bathroom until I had to do them. I learned more about detailing in three months than six years worth of education. And then that move all that goes on uh, to the professional side of when you're a practice, large or small, and you're hiring, 
you need to hire somebody capable. All of these students coming out, myself included, don't know enough to be as useful as needed. So then to ask for a higher salary is a much harder debate to, to go over. And then speaking of the business, we still work on a do as much as possible for the least number of resources so we can charge the smallest amount of fees um, to get as much work as possible. I've never seen any profession take technology and make it work against us the way architects have. We used to draft by hand and certain drawings used to take a while to do. Now we have CAD. Instead of that providing us more space to do more work, we just use that as an opportunity to take on more projects and we're more stressed out. The hours get longer, not shorter. And especially with AI, everyone's saying that it's going to help us. I don't think so. I think we're going to find a way just to offer an extra service so we can beat the next guy at the same price for more work. And we keep doing this. There's more solo practitioners now than ever before. And I don't necessarily think that's a better model. I think that's just a reaction to the culture that they've been working in. And on that point of diversity, and this is really important, I was actually given the opportunity to go to schools and talk to young people from multiple diverse backgrounds. And I say given the opportunity, I was asked to do so. And I actually declined because if I went to schools and I said, hey, you should join architecture because it's a great profession. And for myself included, those who come from minority background don't generally come from wealthy uh, wealthy backgrounds, humble beginnings. And for me to say that this is a way to increase your economic future is a lie, is a bona fide lie. You, one, expecting part ones to live in London, for example, on less than 25K is outrageous based on the amount of work they do. Two, the number of years it takes to get qualified is just number of years that you are not earning maximum potential. You have to go back to do a master's for two years. You will then have to go and do a part three. And sure, in the part three, you're earning, but you're capped at the fact that you are not a qualified architect. Your salary won't begin with a four until maybe five years after you're qualified, if not project architect level. And by that point, you know a lot will have already decided that this career is not for you and have jumped ship. I think there's a lot of issues with our current profession, and I don't think we're addressing it in any of the honest reasons i think we're still looking at oh we need to you know pay more we need to you know increase our salaries ultimately we need to find out whether we're valuable and it seems like the construction industry doesn't believe we're that valuable the more buildings we design the more buildings that exist the less that they need us because our planning system is at a stage now where it's easier to design something that looks like what is next door than to design something creative and if that's the case why would a developer or a contractor Hire an architect to do any kind of design work when the design already exists. You need an engineer and a surveyor to, one, make something that already exists and put it somewhere else and to make sure it costs as much as it should. So, yeah, we need to redefine what how we practice and why we practice. And, sure, it's not about the money. We're all here because we love design and that's what we want to do. But at the same time, if that has a direct relation to our standard of living, there may or will be a better way to create an outlet for our design needs as well. Fantastic. And just before we go on to um, on to Brian, are you still going to become an architect though? So currently doing a, a part three, I am actively thinking about what is my next move. If you're asking me, oh, in 20 years, would I still be an architect? Most likely no, um, unless something drastic happens this year but most likely no, um, as I'm figuring out that transition. And that's probably another uh, point to point out. 
with the architecture degree, it's not spoken about what else you can do with that degree. It, it's not spoken about uni, it's not spoken about in practice or the industry. So I'm on the hunt to, to find out what that is. Um, but yeah, I may be qualified, but I don't think it will be my career. Brian, if you want to do the same. Yeah, my name is Brian McCartney. I am the uh, CEO and Chief uh, Creative Strategist at ArcMark. Uh, I am, as Jason pointed out, not an architect, uh, but my mission is to help uh, small architecture firms attract ideal clients and win better projects using branding and marketing services, uh, coaching resources that we offer. Uh, I've been in my profession, branding and marketing, uh, for more than 35 years. I come from, uh, I guess, more of a corporate background where I was working for big brands like Calvin Klein, General Motors, Lipton Foods, uh, uh, and transitioned to uh, starting my own agency while I was abroad in Switzerland, transitioned to working exclusively with architects in 2016. Uh, I'm based in the U.S. I'm in uh, uh, in the Midwest here, uh, where it's nice and cold and snowy right now, and uh, about an hour west of Cleveland, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. All right, so um, this question of the death of architecture, it's a question I hear coming up a lot, and and just hearing Maya's uh, uh, words, uh, you know, it's very sobering. I think there's a lot of frustration in the industry. Uh, I feel like uh, I hear from a lot of a lot of younger people, especially who are trying to kind of chart their path uh, like Maya is and, uh, you know, try to understand where, where does this, where, where does all these, all of these changes leave them? Uh, uh, the, the pace of change is happening so quickly now as well that it's, it's a confusing and somewhat overwhelming time for a lot of people. And, and beyond that, architecture as an industry has well-known problems, especially in, uh, in larger firms and, and how they, uh, how they develop talent, how they attract talent, et cetera. Um, however, I, you know, from my perspective and with the, with the clients that I'm working with, with the people I coach, I believe it's also an exciting time to be an architect, uh, especially for small firms, uh, uh, firms that are interested in embracing some of these new technologies uh, and interested in searching for those opportunities to stand out, uh, to find and connect with their ideal clients, uh, to build, you know, they, they have a great opportunity to build a, build personable uh, brands that resonate with the precise people they want to connect with. And I think this is something that a lot of architects struggle with. Uh, they hide behind their work. They don't know how to put themselves forward and uh, and, and target the, the clients that they really want to work with. You know, but whether it's new technologies like AI, uh, uh, you know, new SaaS products that are coming out all the time, training programs, there's so many resources for architects to help them develop the skills, resources, and knowledge that they need to stand out in a very crowded field and to build successful businesses, um, whether that's in or out of architecture. Uh, I feel like, you know, uh, you can choose two versions of the story. There's one, you know, where technology and all these developments are really scary and overwhelming, maybe even threatening. 
Uh, but you can also choose to embrace it and try to understand how to use these resources to your advantage. I think many in the industry are focused on some of the negatives uh, of AI advancement and, and other technologies and what that means for them. Um, and, and, and perhaps for those people, maybe the industry is dying because, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. There is no going back. We can't, you know, unbottle AI. We can't unbottle technology. We can't unbottle some of the changes uh, in the industry that Maya talked about, where, you know, it's easier for contractors to do a lot of the work that architects typically have done. But for those who are ready and willing to embrace a different mindset uh, and, and see the opportunity, I, I think they will see that the opportunities are endless and they're only limited by their imagination. So, no, I don't believe the architecture industry is dead or dying. I think there will always be architects. There will always be a need for architecture. Um, but I actually think there's an opportunity for the industry to thrive, just like many other industries have thrived through new advancements. Like when I came into, uh, I, I studied graphic design. When I came into my field, the, the desktop publishing was on the rise. It had just been born. And everybody said, oh, this is the end of graphic design. Well, that is not the case. Um, I've built a great career uh, doing what I do. However, I do believe that when it, what it means to be an architect may be changing for a lot of people. And I think that's what architects fear the most, uh, especially those in older generations, perhaps. Many maybe want to sustain this romantic ideal of what architect means. Maybe it's some pasteurized or sterilized historic version of Frank Lloyd Wright or Mies van der Rohe as these benevolent visionaries who didn't care about money and always put design on a pedestal. I don't know. But I think, I think we have to have broader minds and broader outlooks we have to look for those opportunities where we can use these technologies, where we can use these advantages or these advancements to our advantage to maybe maybe be more productive, maybe come up with better ideas. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Again, I'm not an architect, but I do see opportunity. Thank you so much, Brian. And you were just in on time there. You had 30 seconds to spare. Loved what you said. A bit more of a positive take. That's fantastic. We're going to come. We're going to come back, and we're going to have more of a, a debate. But I want to really hear from from everyone. So, Aileen, you are next. Um, welcome. Hello, Jason. Thank you for having me. Hi, guys. I'm Aileen Round, and I'm based in Edinburgh, Scotland. I run my own website called ArcJobs, which is an online platform dedicated to assisting architectural practices in advertising their roles across the UK. And I also provide career coaching sessions to job seekers. Additionally, I use my LinkedIn to raise awareness about misinformation within the industry. I've been involved in the sector since 2019. I have worked as a recruiter and now as a job board owner. I feel like it's given me an opportunity to engage with and understand issues from different perspectives, whether that's from practice owners or architectural professionals. So is the architecture an unsustainable profession? From where it's heading, I think it is an unsustainable profession and here are my reasons why. Firstly, architectural salaries have been stagnating for over 10 years now. With the current cost of living in the UK, it is becoming a more and more for pressing issue. 
Universities play a part here as well. Not only are the courses getting more expensive, but our juniors end up with a lot of student debts. Additionally, students also don't think they know enough when joining a praxis. And I guess from an economic standpoint, I don't think it's a viable, um, it is viable to study architecture. Low fee percentages is another reason why I don't think it's sustainable. I keep hearing that praxis undercut each other just to win a project, even knowing that they might not make a profit, which is a race to the bottom. It would be great to see some fee guidelines being created. One aspect that worries me a lot is the amount of misinformation floating around the internet. People who decide to study architecture often don't know what they're getting themselves into, nor do they know the actual salary ranges. There's a misconception that architects make 70,000 plus a year, but the truth is the average salary is 37,000 in the UK. Most architects have to pay their own ARB registration fees, which are also increasing year on year. Many part ones and twos struggle to find a job because there's just not enough practices out there with a capacity to mentor them. An unhealthy work-life balance is another aspect many professionals have to endure from unpaid overtime to incredibly tight deadlines, poor management styles to being told that they're not passionate enough or are lazy for wanting to leave on time. I would love to see a difference in that and more practices creating a healthier working environment. I think looking from the outside and seeing that more architects want to leave the profession due to the level of stress and low compensations, it's only a matter of time before things will need to change. And that's my standpoint on, on if it's sustainable or not. Yes, thank you so much, Aileen. There, it, it, I love what you say, that it really is about um, this, this sort of information of, um, so, so, you know, when you go and, study architecture you should go into it knowing all of the facts but i'm still shocked to this day that you'll find you know architect only realizing after they've finished their first degree what the situation is in the industry and uh, so where does that fault lie is it with the universities not telling them when they apply this is the sort of uh, salary you're expected to get uh, are just people people who go into architecture very hopeful and think that this won't happen to them. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> We're going to come back to all of this, but thank you so much, and thank you for keeping to time as well. Jim, nice to see you again, Jim. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Jason. Yes. So my name is Jim Rooney, currently working as a freelance architect, but first caught, well, first started to study architecture in 1998, so that ages me. I then took a 10-year hiatus doing something else creative in my life and came back to architecture studies, qualified part, finished my part one, went out and did part one year out in London in a one-band band uh, who actually headhunted me. The guy came to our university show and said, I want this guy. So I was very fortunate in that respect. A lot of people are not that lucky. Um, that year was pretty stressful. And I, there's a lot of resonance uh, I have with everything that I've heard so far throughout my career in architecture. And that was guy going out doing, you know, feasibility studies free, just terrible business sense in general. Well, not terrible business sense, but just not business savvy. 
and it was all, and it was always this kind of pressure from the client. Well, they want me to turn up and visit a building and give them some ideas and maybe a sketch or two, and so we're going to go and do that. And then about um, nine months into my year with him, he basically turned around and said to me, the finances are not stacking up, I'm going to have to let you go. <laughs> so I hadn't even completed my, my year out. Fortunately, I then fell in with a good friend of my parents, whose son was running a also a one-man band business in, in London. I went through my part two working three days a week on a full-time course so I know the pressure of you know essentially at that time I had two young kids family life as well as studying as well as trying to hold down a part-time position it was tough but I got through it and then was in that company for some years taking promotions gaining in experience and knowledge etc and then I can now currently find myself having left London working freelance for a company in Bath. Um, so I've gone through the range of project architect, associate level, worked in various different companies of different sizes. In fact, when I first moved to London, I worked in a, a large multinational company. And a lot of the issues, and that was like 2002, uh, a lot of the issues that we're talking about were apparent then, right? So in fact, in 20 years, not 10 years, nothing's changed, right? Um, but it comes to me, you know, all of that is kind of gloomy and gloomy and, it, and it's been a real struggle for me and, I, and I'm sure it's an even bigger struggle for other people. We talk about the fact of affluence and I was fortunate enough that my parents were able to support me through my studies to some extent, although that got heated, especially when I decided to drop out. My dad didn't talk to me for two years. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it, it's stressful, it's stressful. But the thing, I, I have a very much a glass half full approach to this and I live in hope. And I think that, the, you know, um, when I hear things like nothing, even, ne nothing ever seems to get done about this, there never seems to be anybody that's, that's doing it differently. I kind of have to gently push back on that because I think there are firms, probably on the smaller side, who are actually trailblazing a very different mindset in the industry. I think if you look at the big, big companies that are kind of set in their ways, these big juggernauts that are just churning, 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 then probably nothing has changed in 25 years, 30 years. But if you look at the smaller size companies, less than 10 people, you know, they're approaching it much more in a sense of how to run a business. So finance is key. And, and then coming to Brian's point, you know, is about how do you, how do you get the clients that you want? How do you get the work that you want? And it becomes about specialism in complexity. There's, there's a big side of our industry which is becoming more and more regulated. Um, and that's all about that sort of developer led, you know, house builder side of the industry where it's all like, you know, essentially paint by numbers. And in fact, they come to you with the drawings of how they want the building to be and you have to draw it exactly the way they want you to draw it. So you're essentially a drafting service. And the reason for that is a liability. It's, you know, insurance. They essentially want a third party to take on the liability for the design, even though it's their design. And it, this all comes from the insurance 
side of the industry and from the US where it's been imported into the UK. And so that that side of the industry is really toxic. And is and I agree that, you know, and, and because it's so heavily regulated as well, you know, with the advance of things like AI, I think we are going to see that part of the industry, that part of the architecture profession potentially disappear because AI will become much more efficient at going through the regulations and coming coming with a solution than a human being will be. And it would be just a case of, I want X building on X site, you know, into AI and there's your design. The developer will be able to walk away. There's still a question there as to who takes the liability and all of that side of AI still hasn't really been thought about too much. Um, but if but I come back to the point that my hope is that I've worked in some businesses where it's all about specialism and it's about complexity and it's about therefore it's about things that something like AI could never be able to do. So if you're thinking about listed buildings and historic buildings, for instance, where they are one off and where each little detail within that building is a complete one off, it's always going to be different, even within for instance, a terrace of Victorian houses that's been stood there for 150 years. They've all been developed and changed. And even when they were built, they were all built slightly differently, right? Because that's how, you know, you just, it's just how it happened. And so each detail within each of those, even within a terrace where they all look the same from the front, each detail is completely different. So for something like AI to try and you know, come a, come to a solution with that. It's almost like it's not even worth trying. Whereas a skilled and knowledgeable and experienced architect, that's where your value is. That's you know, that's about taking that particular building, that particular issue, and resolving it, and and coming up with a uh, an eloquent and elegant design solution. And so, I think we have to be careful. You know, because. You know, I, I recognize Brian's point about, you know, the advent of, um, you know, computerized design. But even before that, you know, when architects were drawing things by hand, we had the French curve come in and it was all like, oh, my God, the French curve. Now everything's going to look the same. You know, what's the point of the architect? We're all going to have these curvy buildings. Whereas, you know, it's kind of like and it's and we go through these phases within the industry where something happens and it's this big shock and we all go, oh my God, you know, that's the end of us. But so I would come back to my advice as uh, an architect that's gone through it to any young person coming in is one business, business, business. Think about finance and think about your own personal finances too. How do you get your way through all of those things? And it's about looking forward, making, you know, really important um, astute decisions about which direction you want to go on, go in, in terms of design early on. Um, but then it's also about in business, you're working in a business. Not enough architects think about it as in terms of a business. So start to read, start to develop your skills and your experience in, you know, you, you can read books on this stuff that are just so helpful. Um, and then, then it's about specialize. Think about what is the complexity in the industry that's not being addressed or maybe not being addressed in the way that you know you can do it and make that your thing. Specialize in a really complex part of the industry and then you can start 
attracting the right clients, attracting the right fees, getting the work that you're interested in. So that's my glass, glass half full kind of take on it. So I think we don't need to be so scared. I think that there's part of the industry that probably will crumble away. But I don't think that's any big loss personally. I think actually it needs to happen. And, mm -hmm. and there are, you know, there are projects, there are clients and there are aspects of design where fundamentally we will always need architects and architecture. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I'm going to come back to some of this stuff uh, that you've said there. I think we'll go. I think, Mohammed, you are next. A quick introduction. Hello, everybody. My name is Mohammed Balila. Uh, I'm a Saudi-Italian architect and professor currently located in Dubai, where I teach. Uh, I'm currently teaching at Ajman University. Um, I've been active, surprisingly, when I see the number for 19 years. So it ages me pretty much with, uh, with Jim and uh, I believe with many other dates that were mentioned uh, today, which is great. Uh, I also on Instagram decided to ask the, uh, as a warm up the question to uh, some of my students and colleagues uh, as a preparation. Do you think that is the architecture profession sustainable today? And I've received some interesting answers that uh, defer or agree with what I'm about to say, including also a quick voting where it just conveniently ended at 70% saying, yes, architecture is sustainable as a career and 30 saying no. Uh, this was not 10 people answering. It was more than that, but it just so happens that it's round numbers. Lastly, I would like to show in terms of our group, uh, based on the very limited information that I had, uh, just looking at country codes. Uh, this is just a pie chart of where we are from in the world. So you, uh, as you can see, the UK had six members on the WhatsApp group. The US had three. So it, very likely the examples that we're going to hear in the Q&A are going to levitate towards that part of the world. But I'd like to think that the remaining representatives have also duty at representing that part of the world. So very quickly, as an analogy, I'd like to think of us since I'm the desert expert. We are in the middle of the desert in a bonfire and we're asking the age old question, is architecture dying? Is the architecture profession? So forth. And the first thing that I would do in such a session is look up at the stars and remember that the stars that we see, these are moments frozen in time, millions, if not billions ago, a while back. And now we're getting just the information. So when we ask, is architecture dead? Our notion of architecture has to adapt to what architecture is today, not what it was to our uh, parents, for example, or our mentors or beyond that. Just as parents are not expected to teach, uh, to raise their kids the way they were raised because the world has changed, uh, we need to also adapt the way we teach and we profess uh, architecture. Uh, this, is, this is just a quick uh, synopsis of some of the things that I want to. I want to be mindful with time, but also know that we are less members. So maybe that buys me a little bit more uh, extra minutes. So very quickly said, short answer, is the architecture profession dead? I'm surprising myself even with the answer. Yes, it is dead. But it has dots. The architecture that we knew even as little as 20 years ago is no longer feasible today in 2024. Uh, starting with uh, the title of the podcast, Jason, and also the, the general feeling that I had with some of the answers that were uh, on Instagram, uh, there was like a doom and gloom, almost a funerary uh, theme 
to some of the answers, uh, almost, dare I say, a requiem. Uh, so in terms of, obviously, everything that was echoed by my colleagues today in terms of uh, salaries, uh, costs to set up, uh, our, our importance on the, on the meeting table as designers is not what it used to be. All of these factors and many others, uh, increased competition, so forth, it's almost extremely negative. And yet, uh, I always rely on sometimes on music uh, to help me, to motivate me. This is the poster of the famous Amadeus movie that won the Oscar in 1984, which uh, basically documents the life of uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Uh, I don't know if many of you know, but his very last piece is titled Requiem, and he was composing it as he was dying. Uh, I cannot fathom uh, what the uh, composer must have been going through while he was composing funerary music, knowing that he was in a uh, not so well state, let's say. Uh, are there echoes with architecture with that? Perhaps. Uh, there's even the, the, in the poster itself, I found it funny, the saying, everything you've heard is true, uh, which in many ways, um, again, echoes things that we've seen uh, or heard just today. Uh, sorry for the echo, I just wanted to mention that even though you're expecting uh, a very um, somber or sad pieces like Confutatis, uh, Rex Tremendia, very pompous music, but definitely negative, it is funeral music, you find exceptions to the rule even uh, in this play where, for example, uh, just 20 seconds of, if it plays... argue that this is positive music this is very glorifying found in the middle of a requiem uh, this is where I think architects can always see the positive in things very quickly I always go back in history because I'm a history aficionado going back to uh, Leonardo's Vitruvian man and the idea of the Leonardo da Vinci being the quintessential renaissance man Architects, when you trace the origin to the word architecton, were chief builders. They were usually on site. They knew about materiality. They knew about cost. They knew about feasibility, uh, structural feasibility on the spot. I would argue that um, perhaps we messed up uh, when we started using the word D a lot, like design. We started to specialize not in the ways that Jim was mentioning, but more in the ways of Society is going to value my design because my design is much better than my peers. And we've, we've been doing this top-down uh, view, uh, echoing one of my favorite architects, for example, Le Corbusier, as an urbanist with the plans of the city of Paris, it could be argued that he was, not, uh, he was definitely not a strong urbanist as he was an architect because of this approach of looking at a problem top-down and saying, I can solve it from the comfort of my couch or stool or chair, uh, when, it, when it is much more than that. 
the role of architects in society throughout history, I would argue, has always been of paramount importance. Uh, architects need to know a little bit of everything because they need to interact with psychologists, with engineers, uh, with historians, uh, with clients. This is something that I believe will not change, um, uh, to which we can uh, aspire to in, in, to improve. The importance of architecture, their historical importance, uh, I don't know if you can see here, but uh, I have a book called Architect? Question mark by Roger Lewis. That uh, This is the 1998 edition that I remember stumbling upon it as an architecture student in first year. Uh, and in the first two chapters, he argues for reasons to enter the architecture profession and reasons not to. Uh, just for the importance of culture, uh, cultural uh, heritage and cultural advancement of society, almost to the words of immortality, that should that sells it for many architects and in inspiring that I can build something that can change lives. Um, finally, in terms of old things, I want to just uh, mention the city of Rome, where my mom is from. Uh, just in terms of the word or the concept of resilience, this is an image that shows you many different architectural styles and periods going all the way from ancient Rome uh, all the way to the Renaissance and the Baroque, including early Christianity, including uh, Byzantine. That is something that um, it's almost as if it's in waves. Uh, history echoes in waves. And architecture, even when it's in, in, it's in, it's in incomplete form, as in, in ruins, I would argue it still serves a, 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 a cultural, at least an historical purpose. Even in modern times, this is a photograph of a building in the Ukraine that was recently bombed. Obviously, this could not be functional anymore, but just the idea of thinking of architecture has this resilience. It always has to fight gravity, no matter what. And you will be surprised at how uh, sometimes it does that. Sometimes also architecture inspires us to look up or look down, which we're not used to doing. Um, let, let's talk about some of the reasons why, uh, for example, our role is under threat or has changed at least. I believe one of the main aspects is the impact of technology. It is a disruptive force that, just as was mentioned before, uh, no matter what will change our industry. Uh, 3D printing was introduced uh, decades ago, uh, along with virtual reality. Now we're starting to see, for example, uh, AI and, and the threat or opportunity that that's creating. Suffice to say, an architect needs to learn tools. They cannot depend on, no matter how skillful they were, on tools that they had yesterday by itself. There are some positives in the profession, but I do echo with a lot of the uh, negativity in terms of starting out in architecture, where if you're looking at, for example, the annual um, consensus uh, in some of the American websites, or even in Europe, they do mention a forecast of an annual growth of 5%. Employment rate, at least declared people that are looking for jobs, is surprisingly higher than what I thought. Uh, even with new graduates, they might not be paid, which is a whole issue by itself that should be eradicated. Or if they're paid minimal, uh, tend to find jobs relatively quickly within their first year of graduation. And even gender equality, uh, in, just in Europe, we crossed, I believe, 40% uh, in terms of, by all means, I know it's an issue in terms of pay, but in terms of these representation in, the, in what, is, what was traditionally known as a male-dominant 
profession, 40% of architects in Europe, at least, uh, are female. And in the United States, I believe it's at 25. Let me just go very quickly through uh, some, some of the opportunities that we can have as architects and designers to latch on some emerging trends, uh, not just the technological advancements that I mentioned. BIM was something that I didn't mention. Sustainable architecture. Uh, just when you look at words like software architect that today, unfortunately, we have given up to IT. When someone's looking for a job and they find an architect post, they need to read the description because it might be about IT and not architecture. I believe that sustainability is one of the realms that us and environmental engineers should become the experts of. Um, just to be aware with time, I want to go a little bit quicker just to mention that I, I have everything included. So it, it's an idea that sustainability is not new. It's something that our ancestors taught us how to build with sustainable materials, uh, even with simple low-tech tools such as passive uh, design decisions. Marrying that with modern trends, being realistic and saying, okay, we need to wake up and say, our role in society is changing. What are we gonna do about it? Are we just gonna cry about it? Or uh, are we going to sit down and, and first of all, listen from everyone and then uh, give out the information that we have learned as problem solvers. I consider myself a problem solver first and an architect second. Knowing that some of these uh, uh, tools such as sustainability, AI, et cetera, are something that are here to stay and affect us in the future. At the same time, on the other flip side, uh, other forces that are beyond our control uh, have changed, uh, for example, the role of the architects, such as, for example, construction methods, the idea of prefabrication and automation, the, the idea of um, contractors having in-house design teams that basically bypass the architect and the, the importance of designing uh, with the eyes and uh, expertise of an architect. Automation is something that uh, could be uh, both a threat and an opportunity at the same time. Almost reminds me of the movie Terminator 2, as in it can go either way. This is a slide that I was mentioning that I uh, included at Expo that talks about artificial intelligence. But I think in no matter what manifestation that artificial intelligence will develop, uh, we still need to have real intelligence. What do we do with the information that is given to us or the tools that help spit out designs or uh, renderings so far uh, as, as an initial tool. Uh, and how are architects adapting based on that? Uh, the importance of embracing uh, perhaps not all of the digital tools, but thinking of them as arsenals that we can use to diversify our skills. Uh, I think this is an opportunity that uh, the sooner we become realists about it, the better. And realizing that, uh, uh, as it was mentioned earlier, uh, no one has a one-man solution. It is a collaborative field, whether we like it or not. Uh, one last, one of the last uh, points, uh, I apologize for the time, is also the idea of education, which I take uh, very close to my heart. Uh, we cannot be teaching courses in the profession, in architecture, that are the same way that we were teaching them 20 years ago. Be it structure course, courses, be it history, I always try to uh, reinvent those courses when I teach them, even something like professional practice. I, I guarantee you, if you go and visit universities in many parts of the world and you look at their professional practice course, it's the same one that was taught 
20 plus years. That in no way acknowledges how our world, our society has changed. Uh, so I'd like to call it almost as the new age architect. What are some areas of expertise that we can latch onto? Uh, it is okay for us to become experts in something, but realizing that that is different than what it was in before. Um, and in terms of conclusion, just very quickly again, uh, I don't believe that the architecture profession is dead the way I understood it growing up uh, as a whole. But if you think of just architect and architecture the way it was in the 1980s or before, that is no longer there and uh, the cat is out of the bag, uh, as was mentioned by my colleagues. This is one of the negatives about going last, is that it sounds like uh, you're echoing some of the uh, moments. And, and yeah, the future of architecture should be something that we are looking forward to, but also being realistic about it is, in my opinion, harder to start in architecture now than it was uh, a couple of decades uh, ago for different financial and uh, other factors. These are some questions that we can look at uh, when we do the Q&A just very quickly. And uh, that's it for me. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much. Um, yeah, because you've got a presentation I've given you uh, uh, definitely more than double the time. Um, so uh, that's uh, absolutely fantastic. We're going to come back to uh, some of the things I've made a note of as well. I think we've got one more person, Ramon, haven't we? Thank you for the invitation very much. Um, I'm an architect from Germany. I worked in one of those one-man shows that have been mentioned before, which were actually two guys, but um, it's the, the thing that you were talking about. It's the, um, the man that knows everything and tells people how architecture is created and how to have the vision of all the parts of architecture, like cost and construction and structures and having that wide field of view which is one basic part of what we need to have as architects, I think. And it's also the part that can maybe be most likely replaced with technology like AI or parametric designs. If um, And that's where I do think definitely the, the profession of the architect will be dead. It might not be dead until now, but if we see that we have about 3.2 million architects in the world, and one of their main tasks is to, to coordinate um, different people to create one building. In their own language, they're, they're all describing the same word, like the structural engineers, the MEP engineers, they're all building the same yeah, we we pronounce a word in, in the language of space as architects and we translate their own vocabulary into one single word. It's like, I understand it. And so after working with this one-man show for about six years, I uh, where I did very, very much uh, 3D drawings that weren't allowed. 
those guys always told me, stop that. We don't need that 3D model. We need the 2D drawings. That's everything they need to build that on the site or we, we don't need to have that working. And with, with time, I developed the ability to create 2D drawings from the 3D model and I um, gained time in doing so. So I was just faster creating cuts and floor plans than creating them manually, especially when, when they came up with changes, which was not very surprising for uh, architectural planning. And by that, I developed uh, um, the skills to, to train other people in, in Archicad. That's what I did beside my main job, and that's how I got into um, another company then, which is a general planner that derived from from building physics. They did nothing else but just um, thermal simulations, acoustic simulations, and started to to become a general planner. And they didn't think like architects do. They were engineers, and they thought the architect just has to draw a plan. So they, they didn't have the view of the co coordination. And if, if we see that this is one of the main tasks, that we have these 3.2 million people that draw a sink and have to talk with the structural engineer and the MEP engineer to make the building work and do not have the crossings and um, don't cross doors so the functionality of the space is, is, is given. So if this is one of the main tasks the, to coordinate and we have parametric design methods so we can just draw the sink and all the holes in the building and the structural um, parts and all the, the piping and everything can be easily derived with an algorithm. We just say this is the point in the street where the water will, uh, will drop down from this building. And we draw the floor plans and have the sinks and the bathtubs and whatever. And the rest of the work can quite easily be replaced with an algorithm. So if this is one of the main parts of the work, then there will be much less than 3.2 million architects needed to do this work. And it's maybe even worse for, for the structural engineers and it's maybe even worse for the MEP engineers. But that's where I think, yes, of course, there might be these cases that Jim mentioned where you have one special detail in a building that can only be recognized by, by an experienced person, an experienced architect that you cannot just make... AIs realized by, by have them running machine learning methods. So th there might be place for some architects to, to survive, but the profession as a whole is definitely going to be replaced by digitalization, by, uh, by AI. And yes, that's, that's what I experience. And I did some of the drawing with uh, Grasshopper now, which was manually done. So that's where I experienced it myself. Absolutely fantastic, everyone. Um, just incredible. I think Aylan was asking, you know, am I going to do? Um, am I going to do a speech here? And um, I think I've got a lot of opinions, obviously, 
on on what what the state of the profession is it's uh it's not in a healthy state um you might have thought i would say i would say that that was that was the six minutes um and i just wonder if we look at the big firms of so people have raised the big firms now um and the the success of the big firms because most of the most prestigious projects go to the big firms i just wonder how sustainable they are with this pipeline of young part one and part twos getting minimum wage and if and if that pipeline was cut off could these big firms survive and have over the years these um fantastic companies all over the world international companies have they been built on the backs of uh, young uh, keen overworked underpaid architects in training and is is that part of the problem if we can if we can somehow fix that and get to some sort of reality because i think when you're employing people um on low salaries and you you're working them really really hard you're not getting the real cost of of, of projects because understanding understanding how much it is to put a building together say you say you want to do something right that's 700 hours but you're asking and sweating people in that practice to do more than them 700 hours you're skewing the figures and i think we need to understand the business um much more clearly and be all of the people in that business to need need to understand the data the figures to see what what really can be done because you might look at the figures and think there is no way that fee could cover what we need to do so 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 if we can be honest with ourselves then we have a chance of surviving um but i fear that many many people in the industry are skewing the figures they don't know the data it that's what i kind of mean by an unsustainable profession do we are we really telling the truth uh jim thanks jason yeah just to respond to that i think there's two points really the first being that you know these sort of um projects that we're talking about with these big multinational firms i remember my tutor at part two saying to me very soberly you know those sort of like placemaking one-off you know incredible zaha style you know projects really make up less than two percent of the built architecture in in the world and so if you're aspiring to do that then you are you know and and if everyone is aspiring to join one of those companies you've got to think about the competition is going to be so fierce and therefore because the competition is so fierce to get in once you're in you're kind of signing your life away Right, you're kind of saying, "I this, I wanted this so bad. I'm, I'm willing to take anything to be here." And that, and so you talk about, and so this is the second aspect of that. You talk about the model of those 
businesses and how they operate. And from my experience of working in one, not it was wasn't one of the top three, but it was definitely one of the top ten in the UK. Um, you know, you've got guys working around the clock. You know, I was there trying to do my side hustle. I was there until 8 p.m. at night, most weeknights, sometimes working through weekends because there was a presentation on a Monday morning. And then it, it kind of, there was this culture within the business where nobody wanted to be the first one to leave because it was kind of like this thing of you didn't want the bosses to know that you were doing as much as anybody else. But what that really translated to was this just dive in efficiency and productivity because there wasn't actually enough work to get on with to, to merit staying until 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And so people are just pushing the pencil around the desk all day, you know. And, and so that, and, and that comes back to your point about, you know, are they fiddling the numbers and, and actually are is this culture the really toxic bit about it where they're expecting you to be in the office you know basically your whole life get paid a pittance i remember back when i was a youngster working in this company there was a guy coming back to the point about designing just toilets that's all he did he was the WC guy for our big corporate buildings. You know, every project was like, well, give it to him. And he was moaning about the fact that he was over 40, not earning 40 grand and basically unable to see his kids. And I'm like, you know, and, but, and sorry, I'm getting worked up now. But <laughs> it comes back to the point I think that you were alluding to, which is that there should be more transparency within the business. And this is where I think smaller firms do it much better about the fee, about the amount of hours that have been included within that fee, what the profit margin is above that, when, when you're going to start eating into it. And all of that, you know, can drive efficiency and productivity. And I find more, more often than not, these smaller businesses have a much more positive culture of you turn up at nine o'clock, you go home at 5 p.m., enjoy your time with your family, and that makes you much more structured during the day. You know you've got that period of time to do the work. You do it more efficiently. You learn quicker, and that's where I think those business models are much more progressive than the bigger, bigger firms that we're talking about. Yeah, Brian. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of interesting things uh, on this call, and uh, – I think all of it's true, right? I mean, it, it's all true. No matter what your perspective, half full, half empty, we're all right. Um, the, you know, and it's a matter of perspective. I think some of the things that I heard over and over again are about the business. And this, in my experience, this is the greatest opportunity that all architects have is understanding the business of architecture better. You know, you have to run a sound business. This is why people aren't transparent about the numbers, because they aren't running sound businesses. They're embarrassed by that. They're afraid to admit that. They didn't, you know, and, and I hear this all the time from my clients. Well, I didn't learn this stuff in design school. No, you didn't. 
But that doesn't that doesn't exempt you as a firm owner from not learning it. You have a responsibility to the people, to yourself, to the people that are in your firm to understand how to run a good business. You know, I I think one of the other things that I heard, and and I, I can't remember who it's who said it, maybe it was Muhammad, but um something something he said you know, made me remember this. Um, and, and I think this is true of any type of designer. We all think design is a product or, or it's a philosophy. We all look at design as our philosophy. You know, it's like how we do things. It's our style. It's our, it, it's our way of thinking. It's not, it's our product. We sell design. We sell products. A service it's a product and we have to learn how to make good money doing that and yeah learning how to run a business is key to to the success of this industry yeah thank you brian wonderful response there i really like that mohammed i think you were next uh, before ramon uh yes thank you very much just very quickly to um echo um I'm not going to spend 12, 12 minutes, I promise. It'll be super quick this time. Uh, just to echo what Jim said uh, in terms of the uh, uh, almost the groupthink culture sometimes about, okay, we're working and it's late and who's going to leave first. No one comes to think about who came to work first during the day. As in, if you're an early riser and you're before everyone else. So I remember uh, in a lot of places where I worked, I'd be one of the first people to greet the last security guy that was about to end his shift at the beginning of the morning. Of course, when it comes to like six o'clock, I'm not using this as an excuse, but I'm human. Uh, I tend to be one of the first to leave and I would be getting sometimes, uh, uh, I don't want to say dirty looks, but let's call it for what it is. Uh, super quickly in, in regards to, um, I liked what Brian said also with design. I think it's to some of us, it's our religion. Uh, when, when we need to, we need to, uh, I don't want to say grow up, but we need to realize what value it has in society, as in it is, it is an end product, uh, give or take. Uh, you can talk about value for money. You can talk about quality. At the end of the day, what separates you, it's, it's, it's still a product. Um, I want to very quickly, in like 30 seconds, just mention two stories from this part of the world that uh, I had almost as a mini culture shock coming back to the Middle East after spending uh, almost a decade away between studying and uh, living in the UK. Uh, the first one was uh, one of my very first client meetings that I had. Um, uh, it was actually more like a, a side gig, almost like a, a freelance, me being on my own as in I was working, but I also had the opportunity of designing a, a small project for a client. And I was showing the client some designs and explaining about my design philosophy. And he interrupted me and said, in, in not so many words, how much do I need to pay you so that you can have these drawings done and submitted to the municipality, as in the architect uh, on record? In other words, he was seeing me as a tax. He's like, do I have to, uh, do I have to allocate 10%, 15% of the, of the total construction cost? I was like, if we're talking about architecture fees uh there's more than that that goes into it not in terms of the percentage but i offer you much more than that 
if you see me as a tax or as a tax man, that just tells you what uh, clients of a certain level, and I'm talking mid to high level, think sometimes of architects or designers. Uh, the second one that I want to say very quickly is very, so this one was about 13 years ago when I first got to uh, the Middle East in Dubai. Uh, the second one was only a couple of months ago where I reluctantly attended a real estate conference and it dawned on me of the lack of importance that developers, uh, contractors, clients, real estate agents even give to actually the architects. At the end of the day, what is at display is what we design. And yet we're given very minimal uh, m microphone time uh, to explain it, even to a larger audience. We're given very little importance in influencing certain decisions, which, which I found as a shame, which I always have to remind everybody. Uh, we design spaces, we design, at the end of the day, it's experiences. When someone buys, sorry if I mentioned this in terms of real estate terms, but when someone buys a property, an apartment, a house, they're, they're, they're buying basically a lifestyle, something that they would want to have for very long, even if it's for investment. And the architect plays a major role in that. Thank you. I think we've got uh, Ramon next and then Maywa. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was thinking about the business and the importance of being able to tell what, what what you need to deliver if you if you want to make money in architecture and a, a problem that i faced many times that we we had to find solutions for for things we didn't expect so it was it, it was in smaller companies it might not be a problem of, of those big players that jim was talking about but um, you always are facing situations where you have to invest a lot of time to create uh, constructional solutions where you cannot go to the um, to the client and say ah, we need so much more money to to deliver the product you you requested um, and that's what made me uh, spend some some late nights in the office. Maywa, you're next, and then Aileen. I think a lot of our, I suppose, problem with the industry, especially at the early stages of career, is that it's very unclear as to what our purpose is. We, and this is a general comment on the entire industry, we are still in a position where, you're, where we are convincing other people of our value. Nobody during a construction phase has to argue as to why an engineer is going to be there or an MP designer is going to be there or fire consultant is going to be there but we have to defend our position every time regardless of the fact that we generally need to know the most or at least a bit about everyone's role in order to make this building possible i think and e even moving forward this idea of oh we need to rethink what architects do or we need to i don't know evolve with the times and see the opportunities that's all great in the 10 to 20 year run of between now and then. But in terms of right now, I think there are simpler solutions. If you're at university now studying an undergrad, you don't know the basic principles of building regulations or how to draw GA. I actually had a, a conversation with a friend of mine a while ago and we had just finished our masters and we we're just chit chatting in a group and we we're talking about GAs. And then she says, Oh, what, what's a GA? What does that mean? And she has a part two degree at this point. And it's not her fault. Like, 
if if we are telling these these kids to go out into the world and work, we need to give them tools to do so. And it's not complicated. I learned more about detailing in three months than I did at six years of university. Every part one, or even scrapping that term, but everybody who leaves with an undergrad degree should be a capable technician because you can learn how to do that in four years. If you are leading, uh, leaving part two, you should be able to coordinate and understand other people's drawings because you can learn that on the job. Therefore, you can learn it in full-time education in under two years. There's no need for this, oh, put them out into the world and let them figure it out. It's these kids are studying and then they need to be paid to live. So let's give them the tools to make them valuable. And in terms of businesses going out looking for work and trying to convince developers of our values, we can't do that. We can't convince developers of our value. If if our work doesn't directly correlate to their return, then they won't see the value because that's the whole point of business. Instead, we should say, okay, you need this number of square footage, uh, this number of room, this number of beds. If it's a student resi, this is how to do it effectively. Here's all the high level things you need to know about that. Instead of us becoming draftspeople, we don't need to do that. That's that could be a technician that could be somebody else who is who is in in a professional situation to okay my job is drawing and that's what i do we we keep going on about like oh like what does what does architecture mean as opposed to the reality of our economy is short for buildings and therefore doesn't need to focus on the experience of what a building means and that is sad but ultimately true and if we keep telling these telling young architects or, or, or young graduates that, oh, in time, you just need to like rethink what you think about architecture and we need to brand and and and, and pivot more um, to, to convince them of your value. It's no, you need to position yourself in a value that is directly res- correlated to the return of the client because then they're happy and then you're getting paid and then the business is operational because it all leads to an outcome that is profitable for everyone. And that's the major part that's missing from from wherever we go forward from here. Fantastic. We're going to go to Aileen, then Jim. And then what I want to do is just um, wrap this up and have some, you know, maybe a minute and just just talk about um, your sort of closing thoughts um, on this. But yeah, Aileen. I think what I find quite interesting, especially from someone who, like from an outsider perspective, how normal it is just to stay longer in the office because people are too afraid to leave early. And then that probably comes from the management as well, that they probably stay longer. And then the juniors will think, oh, that's normal. And if I, if I leave early or on time, um, that they get told that they're not being passionate enough about their career or that they're lazy. So I think it's a massive, like it's such a vicious cycle to put that into the brains of all the juniors because then they don't know what's if that's right or wrong I think that's my opinion and you only lower your hourly rate and juniors aren't getting paid that much so why should they stay longer do work for absolutely nothing and I think to we really need to try and get that out of out of architecture in my opinion I know there are a lot of industries who struggle with unpaid overtime but um I just don't understand why it's so normal. And um, yeah, it just it just blows my mind a little bit, especially if you think about if there's a part one or part two in London, 
working probably some work like 50 or 60 hours i understand that there are certain deadlines you know there's a project everyone has to work together i get it but people shouldn't stay longer like every single day if there's a deadline i'll do fine everyone work together but it shouldn't be like a normal thing yeah i just think it's just probably just slightly poor management to be honest you take on too much work really tight deadlines and then everyone in the office has to kind of try and solve these things and a lot of the job adverts say yes we're looking for people with excellent organization uh, skills or time management skills okay if they get the work done on time they're still being punished for wanting to leave early so maybe spend time with their family maybe they have a hobby but if you just finish at work if you finish work at 10 11 p.m. for example you are absolutely exhausted have to do the same thing again the next day and what happens is you just get burnout you make more errors the client will be unhappy you might have troubles with the team as well because you not you just you just can't switch off so i think that is definitely something we need to look at as well but yeah that's just something i wanted to mention fantastic um back to yourself uh jim thank you yeah i mean um this has been a really enlightening conversation this evening and there are so many aspects of what everyone has spoken about that i would love to talk about but i think we're kind of running out of time i think you know mohammed with your presentation there were some things in there for just you know i uh, what I really liked was that you started out going, right, it's dead, but then maybe is it dead? And then you kind of gave some solutions at the end. And I, I gave, the, you know, the listed building or the heritage as an example. But I think you're right about sustainability. I think there's specialisms within the industry that we can all look to. Ramon talking about efficiency and talking about actually is it easier just for an algorithm to do your job? I, I absolutely think there's a whole conversation behind all of that that needs to happen, 100%. And then Mawa, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that you have said tonight, I think is probably not to do the service to everybody else, some of the most pertinent conversations that need to have in our industry. And I think in a, in a way, you're right. It's all well and good for me to sit here and say, well, look, you know, you just need to do this or do that and blah, 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 and you'll be okay. But I think fundamentally in terms of education, you know, the whole system is flawed. You know, I have, I have kids, they're going through the school education system that hasn't changed for 50, 60 years. They're still learning the same old rubbish that we learn at the school, right? And so, and this is the, the point, you know, I think you're 100% right about the education system is really failing us as a profession, but it's, it's failing us as a society. And there's some real philosophical points that I would love to have time to touch on with you about all of those aspects of it but I don't think we're going to have time to do that this evening, but absolutely champion your voice in this conversation, as well as all of you. I think you've all had such valid points and it's been a real pleasure to, to talk to you all about this this evening. Right. I think that was your summing up, Jim. I'm going to take that. Um, if we go around, so I'm going to go around with people with their hands up first, but 
please sum up. These would be your final words as well. So I think I've got Maywa. I suppose general summary, and maybe I've been a bit doom and gloom today, um, but I still think that the skills of an architect are valuable. I still think our position as an architect is valuable. The question is, is our profession dead or is it dying? If we continue to practice it this way, 100% is dying. I, and this is actually a, a, an interesting point to anybody who has kids and to any architect who has kids, is if you can't go to your child and say, oh, I'm an architect, it will be great for you to do it as well, then there's probably something wrong. And I know, especially in Bristol and I'm just you know surrounded by <laughs> architecture um, professionals, that is that is the general consensus. It's, I did this. It's been a wild ride. Wouldn't recommend it for anyone else. And and that's a problem. And Jim, I really appreciate um, uh, the compliment today. And to your point from earlier, in terms of specializing and, and multidisciplinary, the company I work for now is a very good company, and they're an offsite <laughs> manufacturing consultancy. And that just means they are they special they specialize in all things standardization and built-in factories. So that means modular homes, panelized systems, timber, light gauge steel, all kinds of stuff. The three directors is a project manager, somebody with a part two degree, but left to go into development and an engineer. And the amount of effort and time they put into making sure that everyone's work is is tracked and there is a very consistent plan and we every week we go over what we have to do and, and what are the, the key outputs for that week. It means that everyone goes home at 5.30. It's very rare, like extraordinarily rare that anyone stays longer than that. And when I got this job, I was paid slightly, but paid slightly more than my other part two counterparts working in large firms. And I've worked in a large firm and I know the chaos of it, not going back. But yes, there is a very importance to, to business acumen and understanding your specialism and what your output does in direct correlation to the value that the client has and we need to remember that moving forward. Brian, you're next. Yeah, and I'll try to sum up as well. Um, my thoughts, uh, yeah, I was reminded as we were talking here, you know, there was a study, I, I can't remember when it was done. I think it was uh, in the teens of this century, and it was done in the UK. And I think it was like uh, they were asking people in the public, you know, what do architects do? And I think only, what, 19% or something knew that architects were actually responsible for making sure that buildings were safe and and so forth. And there's a lot of other things that came out of that study. I think, you know, this is part of the problem is that people in this public sphere don't, don't really know what architects do. Um, a very small percentage of people will ever work with an architect. And I think it's a real shame. You know, it used to be that architects were revered and, and held up in society as Master builders, yeah, you know, somebody mentioned that term, master builder. Uh, that that has been lost, and that needs to be regained. Um, there's no easy solution. It'll take years and years of hard work, and you know, like I said, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You, you, there's some things that you can't turn back. I think one of the, the one of the keys that I would recommend for anybody in this profession is to look outside of architecture, not not necessarily to find a job, but to understand how other businesses are successful and what what adapt, adaptations have other industries had to endure and go through, and you know, and 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 then still remain successful. Um, 
you know, uh, there are a lot of great lessons to be learned. And I think, uh, I think in my experience in general, as an industry, I think architecture has been very slow to adapt in the modern age, which is surprising given how much, how much, uh, development and, and, and advancement was made in architecture in the earlier parts of the 20th century, right? You had, you had architects were, you know, held up and, 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 you know, like I said, so I, I, I think, I think there's, um, there's been, I, I, this has been very positive for me because I've heard, I've heard, some negatives and, uh, you know, I've heard some of the glass half to empty and I've heard some of the glass half full and it gives me hope. Uh, I'm with Jim on that. I, I have hope for the industry. Um, I hope that more people will uh, wake up and understand that uh, architects can't design themselves out of every problem. And you have to look around you. You have to look outside you outside of your industry to find some solutions. And I, I hope most, most more architects will start doing that. I, I see signs of that on LinkedIn and so forth. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Brian. Really appreciate that. Ramon, you're next. If you can give your thoughts and then do a bit of summing up. Thanks. Yes, I will. Um, I just wanted to say one thing to Jim bashing the educational system in general, because uh, yes, we do learn the same things in school as 50 years ago, which is basically math and reading and writing. And I don't think there needs to be much of a change in these basic skills that we, we, we learn. And we learn how to learn new things. We learn to, to develop new skills. And uh, so I, I don't want to, just leave it like this. <laughs> and I think this applies for, for the architecture as well in the educational system. We, we will still need some, some guys that know about historic buildings. We will still need some guys that know different constructional methods and uh, know, know the pricing of a project. And um, we will need people that are able to to think in the way architects do like um bringing different approaches together in in one building and that's maybe the the main task for for the architect to um to develop this way of thinking and i think also that this is something that takes a lot of time in in studying i don't think you could just push people through through constructional details for four years and after that they'll be an architect because they still won't be able to find the right detail for the right project because they haven't seen all, all the other aspects that define the construction. Um, so that, that's why I was a bit skeptic when Maiwa said um, we could make people learn every constructional detail in, in four years and maybe yes, but we, we also won't make those people uh, learn parametric design and programming in four years, maybe they will be able to learn it, but afterwards they won't be architects. They won't have the ability to think in that way, to solve problems, to adapt new 
methods and technologies to find the right solution for the right project. Fantastic. Um, who's next? I think it might be Mohammed next to uh, to sum up. Uh, sure, I'll uh, I'll quickly give uh, four pointers that um, I did not speak about before. Uh, one of them is uh, let's not forget. I believe that um, architecture and design in general uh, has embedded perhaps the highest percentage of entrepreneurs, whether they know it or not, in the profession. Meaning we're not just creative in design or how a building comes together or detailing. We're we're also Perhaps we lack the knowledge in terms of business from education, but we uh, we can learn that. And oftentimes, a lot of uh, architects that start on their own or open a firm, unfortunately, learn the hard way uh, in terms of budgeting, in terms of uh, how much do you have to guarantee about a project completion before you have to start worrying about laying off people, as an example. So, uh, Jason, you said that curse words or swear words are allowed. I would like to introduce one that we talk more about, which is money. It's such a dirty word uh, in architecture that we always uh, act uh, so superior to it as like, oh, no, no, I'll do this for the love of the profession like it was mentioned uh, elsewhere. But I I wish I had learned more about that, uh, not just in education, even in my formative years as a young architect uh, that I only got exposed to later on. Uh, as as my career progressed. Um, also, let's not forget, in my opinion, perhaps not everyone knows what an architect does, but there's definitely an aura uh, when you say the word architect. George Costanza in the, in the series Seinfeld, when he had to make up uh, a career to impress uh, women and, and men in general, everybody, he would sometimes venture and say, I'm an architect with a made-up name. Uh, and he'd always get a positive reaction, meaning regardless of your financial uh, situation, you definitely have intelligence or sophistication, uh, something not to forget. Yeah, those those are all of my last comments, something that I wanted to say beyond what I had said before. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. And I hope to connect with everybody like Brian suggested uh, on LinkedIn and continue this. Thank you. Before we finish, would anyone else like to say anything else? I just want to... I'm trying to conscious of time, but yeah, Jim, I'm sure he wants to come back on the education thing. No, I'm not about that at all, actually. I mean, I think um, Ramon's point stands. I wasn't really talking about sort of the basics of what we're taught. I was more alluding to the fact that historically, following on for the conversation about the fact that the world has changed since 50 years ago, and our understanding of it has changed. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that we still get taught the same stuff my parents were being taught. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, um, yeah, I just wanted to um, absolutely thank you all uh, for having me. But also, yeah, it would be really good for everybody to connect. Fantastic. We're going to go to Aileen. I feel like I'm in a fortunate position where I can see the bigger picture and have conversations with practice owners, professionals, and even here what architectural recruiters are witnessing. But the overall feedback I'm getting is frustration. Professionals are not feeling valued. The work-life balance is awful. Salaries are too low. And they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. 
I can see, though, that smaller and newer architectural practices are trying to create a more sustainable business model and a healthier work-life balance, which is just incredible. And I hope that more practices will follow suit. I think a lot of professionals will benefit from understanding how to run a business and how to sell and value their services. I know this is only the tip of the iceberg and we have a long road ahead before even the salaries will go up. But I wish that anyone who genuinely wants to become an architect knows what the role and salaries entail and that they don't find themselves in a situation where they regret their choices. I don't think that architecture is dying, but it's becoming more and more unsustainable for people to live off. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Everyone was really respectful. I'm glad we had such a diverse mix of people, ages, locations, um, you know, different um, professions, working in different sectors. Um, so really appreciate everything you said. I know we haven't covered everything. Um, maybe quick once round, yes or no, is the profession of architecture dead? Uh, Ramon? No. No. Ailey? <laughs> Don't think it's dead, no. Jim? Interesting. We're seeing some flip-flopping now. <laughs> no, I, I still feel half half full, half full on that one. No. Mohammed? I mean, I did answer yes, dot, 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 but the whole point of it was saying, obviously, no. But uh, yeah, no. Brian? Uh, it's evolving. Maywa? Dying but not dead. Ah, dying but not dead. Yeah, I I don't think it is. Uh, it's dead, but it is uh, it's definitely dying for me. Please share, subscribe, and comment to support the channel. Architect.